Welcome to The Brilliant, where brilliant people with brilliant ideas are working to make the world a little brighter. Hey everybody, welcome to The Brilliant Podcast. We're glad that you could be with us today. We've got in the studio... Dr. Henry Fuelberg from FSU's Meteorology Department, and uh, thank you for being here, Dr. Fuelberg. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, uh, it's it's great having you here, and it's great to be able to talk to you about something that you're obviously very passionate about, which is meteorology and how that all works. So maybe that's a good place for us to get started. We were talking about that a little bit before the show here, but how did you even get interested and involved in meteorology? Well, when I was in the fifth grade, the teacher set up a paperback book club. So each month, a student could order a paperback book. And for whatever reason, my selection one month was was called Oliver Becomes a Weatherman. And it was about a high school kid who shot skyrockets filled with silver iodide as a hurricane approached his town. And the hurricane fizzled out, and he was a town hero. So that's what first got me into it. Then uh, when I was in the eighth grade, Hurricane Carla passed through. Now, my town wasn't right at the coast, but we had two trees knocked down in our yard. And I would vacillate occasionally between that and other subjects. Mother did not want me to be a meteorologist. She thought I should be a medical doctor, but I wouldn't have any part of that. So she, <laughs> she finally relented and, you know, do what you need to do it's it is your life so uh, I turned a hobby into my life's work which some people say is probably a mistake but I sure have enjoyed it that's awesome that's great and that's a great story about it all starting off with that paperback book that yeah, yeah just kind of got your imagination going there well just about everybody majoring in meteorology became interested when they were young huh. so junior high so forth. And that can't be said for most majors. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's an interesting thing about meteorology, I suppose, that it has that sort of excitement from a young age and and that just kind of, it sounds like, builds. Speaking of building, a lot of people that are going to be listening to the show don't know what it is to be a meteorologist. And in fact, they think of the person that they see on TV who is a meteorologist, but there's there's a whole lot more to it than that. Tell us a little bit about what it means for you to be teaching meteorology here at Florida State University. Well, I certainly agree with what you said. I've lost count of the number of times that people have asked me, well, what TV station are you on? Because I want to <laughs> watch you. I say, well, I'm not on any of them. I actually teach it. Meteorology is actually physics of the atmosphere. So the atmosphere obeys laws of physics, and math is the language of physics. So we require as much math as if you were measuring in physics or engineering or subjects like that. And basically what we do is teach the way the atmosphere operates, and we teach that, you know, using mathematics. So we have temperature, moisture, all that stuff that we call thermodynamics. And then we have, well, 
why does the wind blow the way it does? And that is called dynamics. So those are the two real basic things. And then from that branch, all sorts of sub-area. For example, tropical meteorology, which includes hurricanes, and all sorts of more specialized subjects stem from those basic two. Yeah. I know one of the things about getting a PhD, which you have, is that you have to narrow your focus down and you have to go, okay, this is specifically what I'm interested in. Walking from the paperback book about being a weatherman to what you're interested in now. And so so what's kind of your thing within the big wide world of meteorology? Well, right now, well, first of all, it has changed over the years. So you sort of take advantage of what is available. But what I'm doing the most right now is studying thunderstorms, specifically the lightning that's associated with thunderstorms. And that's a subject NASA is very interested in because while the Cape is a great place in some ways to launch rockets. It's a bad location because it's very near the lightning capital of the U.S. So they don't want a rocket to get struck while it's on the pad. And if they're having a launch, the combination of a cloud that is somewhat charged, but not so much it would produce lightning on its own, and then the rocket exhaust can actually trigger lightning. Oh, wow that can do damage. So they have a set of rules right now that's called the cumulus cloud rules. Keep in mind, these are clouds probably that aren't even raining. Mm. And we would say they're pretty small clouds. But they do have enough charge such that when a rocket passes through, you will have triggered lightning. So NASA has some rules. If you have a cloud that's so high, you have to stay this far away from it when you launch. If the cloud is a little taller, then you have to stay even further away. Now, all of that was based upon theory, but now they have instrumentation that can actually measure the electric field in a cloud as it passes over. So we are trying to figure out whether those rules are too strict or whether they're too lax. The early results suggest that maybe the rules are too strict and that they wouldn't have to stay as far away as they presently do, especially for clouds that aren't that tall. That is one area. And the other area is, oh, I would call it better weather forecasting at the Cape, especially thunderstorms. And uh, then for the National Weather Service, I have a project on trying to forecast what we call pulse thunderstorms or pulse, pulse severe. These occur on a day... When you have a lot of scattered thunderstorms, and the conditions aren't especially right for any to become severe, sort of marginal, and then one storm cell out of a bunch of them suddenly does become severe, puts down damaging hail or damaging wind. It doesn't last long. So by the time that person doing the forecast actually realizes that it's happened, then it's probably over with because they're very subtle. And so the warnings on those are very poor. So we're checking radar data and every other kind of data to see is there any kind of signal that gives us any kind of warning that this storm 
is going to give us severe weather, either in terms of hail or wind. Yeah, wow. So it's three three big areas that I'm getting money to work on, but they all center around thunderstorms in one way or another. Yeah, it sounds like they center around the Cape and sending those things off into space and just right. the dangers that are involved there. I think that's something that people probably don't realize when they are watching one of those things take off is, oh, this could be a very dangerous situation for some folks if they're doing things. That's right. They have a series of rules that have to be satisfied in order to launch, and they are very detailed rules. And one set of those rules, as I said, is called the cumulus cloud rule, where you just have an ordinary cumulus cloud, but if you shoot a rocket too close to it, you might have triggered lightning. Yeah, and that whole sense of being able to trigger lightning with a rocket ship, that just sounds, A, very dangerous, but it also just sort of grabs my imagination as well. You know, what does that even look like and how does that work? So it's got to be really interesting to study that. That gets to another part of what you do professionally. And so you don't just do research. You you, no. you actively work with students. So that's the other part of, you know, kind of what you do. Tell us a little bit about what you do as you work with students then. Well, I teach classes and it's mostly seniors that are majoring in meteorology And I teach them what is called synoptic meteorology, which are highs, lows, fronts, things like that. Why do those behave as they do? How might they evolve in time? Once again, it's sort of an application of all of the theory that they learned in other courses to what's actually going on in the atmosphere. So just about every fall, I will teach that. And this semester, well, this coming semester... I think there are 28 right now in the class, but we expect about four more. And uh, so that's my fall. In the spring, I either teach a graduate course on the kinds of topics that I've already been describing, thunderstorms, etc., or occasionally I will teach a course in meteorology that is for non-science majors. Students that are not majoring in any kind of science, they have not had any math, so we can't have any math, (laughs) we can't even have word equations. It's um, very much a descriptive course. Okay. I taught that last spring. So So I work with the graduate students that are on my project, and I teach... And I also advise students at the undergraduate level. Okay. Now, there are several of us that do that. But right now, we have about 140 undergraduates. Okay. Yeah, that's that's quite a bit. Going back to what you were saying about doing the class for non-science majors, that's got to be just a massive departure for you because you're used to all of this higher level stuff, to doing all of the math, and then you have to really switch gears in order to approach a student who's maybe a business student or an English student. What is that experience like for you to try to switch and do that? I have always found that pretty easy to do, and that's a course that I could basically wing it on a given day. Okay, you have to cover this topic. I wouldn't have any problem winging it. That just doesn't seem to be a problem for me. Now, with a lot of faculty, it is. 
But for some reason or another, I don't have a problem with that. In fact, it's kind of fun. Some of the questions a student asks are very thought-provoking. And there have been occasions, usually once a semester or so, where they ask a question that I have never thought about before. It's a perfectly good question, but I've never thought about it before. And sometimes I can come up with an answer on the fly, and sometimes I have to tell them that I'm going to get back with them. Oh, sure, yeah. That makes a lot of sense, that they're looking at things from a different perspective And because of that different perspective, they're asking different questions. And then that question, because you have your perspective, hasn't really come up to you until you meet that person who's got that other perspective. So that's, yeah, that's kind of a neat thing. (laughs) So as you've worked with the full gamut here, you've worked with students, you've worked with clouds, you've worked with rocket ships, you've worked with all sorts of things. And you've been doing this for a number of years. One of the things that we're interested in is just kind of learning the wisdom that comes out of people's vocations. As you've gone through life, especially in this vocation, what are some of the takeaways? If you had to tell somebody, okay, after 30 some years of being a professor of meteorology, these are the one or two things that I feel like I can share with the world. I think the world's expectations of meteorology are too great. That would be the first thing. And what I mean by that is, if they're going to go to a football game here at the stadium, they want to know, is it going to rain at the stadium where I'm sitting at the time that I am there? And what happens elsewhere at some other time, that's not the issue. I don't know that we're ever going to get there. Mm. If we do, it's going to be a long time in the future. But I'm not convinced we're ever going to get there. So one thing I've learned is that the public's expectations are too high. Uh Because they really do want us to be that good. I've learned that a lot of people, when they know that I'm a meteorologist, or maybe they've known it for a long time, they want to tell me what the forecast is. (laughs) and why it's going to be that way. And that's just sort of funny. I've learned that a long time ago. That just comes with the game. I've learned that whenever I'm going to be in public anywhere, whether it's church or wherever I am, I better be prepared to give a forecast. (laughs) I cannot say, well, I haven't looked at the maps. I, I don't know. Uh, The public is kind of fun in a way, but you can't take them seriously all the time because they don't really realize how what they're asking comes across to a person that's actually in the field. But anyway, you just kind of laugh about it inside. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And now I'm going to think of you every time that my weather app on my phone tells me that in 19 minutes it's going to start raining exactly where I am. And (laughs) I'm going to know that they're just bluffing. It usually is. Uh Uh-huh. It usually is. Yeah. Now, there are special situations where close to the time of the occurrence, we can do pretty well. So let's say that there is a squall line that is headed toward us. An hour or so ahead, we may be able to get that pretty well right. By that time, if you're at the football game, you're already in the stands. That is sort of late. And a lot of times we can't even do that. 
Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. There is something to be said about, hey, this is a big system. Like you were saying, there's highs and lows and fronts. And in some ways, sometimes it's better to look at things as this sort of overall picture of what the weather looks like. Instead of saying, well, just for my little narrow slice of this is where I'm at, I think there's probably some wisdom there that goes even beyond meteorology where, you know, we can talk about how that's the case with just human beings in general is human beings so often just want, well, I want to know exactly what my next step is. And I think sometimes we can say, well, I'm not really sure what your next step is, but I can tell you generally what the scene looks like here. And that just gets then mirrored in what you were saying about meteorology. Well, right now, since I'm doing advising this summer a lot, there's some students that say, well, do I take this course or should I take that course? And they are both electives, maybe just simply general studies requirements. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter which of those they take. But they think, well, okay, there's bound to be a better one. And so a lot of times I say, well, that decision is strictly up to you, whichever one suits your fancy. You know, they're obviously required courses, so we're not talking about those. We're just talking about elective courses. Yeah, and I think that's something too. You know, it's putting it back in in the world of meteorology. Maybe sometimes you take an umbrella and you don't need it. No, No harm, no foul. You just ended up having to take your umbrella and that's okay. So one of the things that we're really interested in at The Brilliant is how people who achieve great things, and you've achieved a lot of great things, from just going through the schooling to be a meteorologist, to becoming a full professor at Florida State University, to all of the work that you've done with students and all of the work that you've done with all of the research that you've done. How do you take all of that and align what you do with what you believe? Well, I start off with the first verse of a psalm, the heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens there doesn't think of heavens. If you go back to the Greek, it isn't, you know, where we hope to go after we die, but it actually can mean atmosphere. So when I think of meteorology, I think of, okay, this is God at work. The field of meteorology works or comes together in a pretty pretty orderly way that God has predetermined and we're trying to figure it out but we're never going to figure it out perfectly God's in charge of the whole thing and we're just doing the best we can trying to figure out how he made things the way he did so that we can better understand his handiwork so that is one way yeah That makes a lot of sense. And the picture that came to my mind was what you're doing in meteorology is that you're taking a look at a master artist at work. What you're able to do in meteorology is you're able to look closer in to that specific thing that's being done in that painting. And so it's kind of like being in front of a painting and you get real close and you can start to see the brushwork, so you can start to see the different colors and where they blend and how they blend. And some of that then gets replicated in when you're looking at a cloud and when you're looking at lightning and even when you're looking at human beings and saying, okay, all of these things give me this perception of a God who's greater than me at work and I get to study it. I get to look up close. Yeah, that's a nice way to put it. Yeah, and it gets back into the the psalm then of, 
you know, the heavens declare the glory of God and that glory a lot of times we can see a lot clearer when we look a lot closer. Mm-hmm. So excellent. Well, thank you, Henry, for being here and being willing to be interviewed with us. And we will have opportunities for people to reach out to you. We'll send you any questions that we get from the podcast. And so, folks, if you have any questions for Dr. Fuelberg, whether that be questions about meteorology or what what it's like to be a meteorologist, send that to brilliantfsu at gmail.com. Or you can go ahead and DM us at brilliantfsu on Instagram. Instagram or at Twitter. We'll pick those things up. We'll send them over to Dr. Fielberg and get you an answer as soon as we can. Thanks everybody for being a part of this and go out there and do some great things. Shine on. Thank you very much for having me. All right. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into the Brilliant Podcast. We appreciate every stream. If you enjoy what you hear and would like to stay updated with us, please connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter at The Brilliant. We love to hear from you all and continue to improve based on feedback from you. Thanks again for listening.